You are now listening to Hack My Age, the show that brings you guests with information on how to make yourself hard to kill and help you live to 100 and beyond in good condition. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a digital nomad currently stuck in Spain, certified sports nutrition coach and master student of gerontology at USC. I am the creator of the Longevity Master Plan, an online program to slow aging and author of the cookbook, Eating for Longevity. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to help others find us too. So welcome to the Hack My Age Zoom webinar. For the next hour, we are speaking with Dr. Nicola Conlon about NAD. This is a molecule found in the human body that regulates aging. We'll also find out why it declines with age and how activating NAD can clean up our bodies to give us even more energy. So Dr. Codlin is an accomplished molecular biologist specializing in the study of aging as a biologically complex disorder. Disorder, it sounds like aging is a disease to me. <laughs> she received her PhD in physiology from Newcastle University, home to the largest institute for aging research in Europe. She's also trained as a cosmetic scientist. I see another Zoom webinar coming up. <laughs> so building on her expertise in molecular biology and years focused on early stage drug discovery with a leading biotech firm, Nicola founded her own company called Nuchito uh, to bring potent life-enhancing scientific discoveries and education to the public with speed and transparency. Along with leading scientists, Dr. Conlon has identified the right combinations of targets to restore cellular NAD plus production back to youthful <laughs> levels, leading to the development of a breakthrough NAD booster called Nuchito Time Plus. So Nicola is an expert in the science of aging and founded Nuchito to, to bring these, these discoveries to everybody. And I love the fact that she's doing it with so much transparency. I, I was really fortunate to be connected to Dr. Conlon through my biohacking bestie, Magdalena Grosselge, who is here with us as well. So um, she, she, Magdalena, I just had couldn't praise her enough for all her knowledge, everything that she's learned from her through the many international aging uh, and longevity conferences she, he's, she's attended over the years. And now I know about NAD and I've been, I used to be taking NAR, NR to boost it, but Dr. Conlon has something new to tell us about this special molecule that I ne never heard of before. So without further ado, meet Dr. Conlon. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Magdalena, for the very, very kind comment and for introducing us. Yes. No, thank, thank goodness for Magdalena. She is a poster child for aging and longevity. So <laughs> if you, we find out a lot through her and, and you are one of the, the gems that we found. So uh, before we get started, you know, we have so much to talk about and to cover here. And I got everybody's questions, but I would like you to first tell us a little bit about your journey as a scientist and why you decided to leave some of the world's leading biotech firms to strike it on your own. Yeah, of course. Well, back where it all started, I mean, I've always been super interested in just the body and how it works. I just think it's absolutely fascinating for as, you know, as long as I can remember, biology has always been my favorite subject and my favorite hobby. Ultimately, this, you know, this is what led me down the career path to become a scientist. I um, completed a PhD in something called epithelial physiology, which basically is the study of how 
drugs and nutrients or in fact any sort of molecule that goes into your body how does it actually go from being outside your body to then passing through like the gut wall and then actually traveling through the cellular walls and into the cells where the, the molecules actually have an effect so for me I was you know always really interested in how we could influence ourselves from the outside with things like nutrients and drugs and actually how, how they're going to get in there in the first place and have their effect this sort of scientific expertise led me down the route of going into industry, into drug development. So I actually went to work in early stage drug development, which is right at the very, very start of drug development, because drug development is a, is a very, very long process. The bit that I specialized in was, okay, you're presented with a disease, whatever that may be. You've got some scientific information about why that disease seems to be happening in the body. At early stage, it's all about trying to understand what the targets are going to be and trying to understand how we can um, impact that disease using drugs or combinations of drugs and actually have an effect on the body. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was the area of, of drug development that I worked in. And I actually went and worked for a really forward thinking biotech company. Luckily, they were, they were actually on my doorstep because usually where I'm from in the north of England, you tend not to get the most cutting edge scientific breakthroughs happening. It's normally in Silicon Valley or somewhere like that. So I was really lucky that on my doorstep, I had a really, really good drug discovery company that had really advanced ways of thinking about disease and about drug development. And I went to work for them. And that was the first point where I was introduced to the field of aging. And, you know, many people are kind of shocked when I say, well, um, I'm an expert in aging and I work in drug development because they say, well, that's crazy. You know, you can't develop a drug for aging. Like aging is this natural process that just happens and there's nothing you can do about it. But what the people that worked at this company had recognized was actually aging is the biggest risk factor for many, many major diseases. The top things that drug companies are trying to research like cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, these are all essentially symptoms of getting older. The older we get, the more at risk we are. Um, So there's been a big movement within science to try and look at aging as a disease and try and actually slow aging a little bit to be able to have a big impact on all of these different age related diseases in one go. And the science is actually really developing now. But back when I first got involved, this was really, really new. So essentially, I was brought into this company to, to go away and decide whether it was worth having a drug development project for aging, which this was back in 2014. So it was the science was still getting established then. But, you know, after I spent a year really researching all of the latest breakthroughs and all of the latest science that showed aging could actually be slowed down. I reported back and said, this is absolutely something we should be doing within drug development. I'm not interested in working on cancer anymore. I want to work on aging because this is, you know, the thing that's underpinning everything. That's kind of how my world of drug development and aging merged in that I ended up being the leader of this project to look at molecules in early stage drug development to slow aging with the hope of targeting many diseases in one go. 
This reminds me a lot about David Sinclair's book, Lifespan. He's developing a drug as well to combat aging. So it's very interesting because, um, like you mentioned, not a lot of people are looking at aging that way as a disease. Even in my master's program, we're taught that it's not a disease. And I always had this argument with them. I totally agree with you. Like if we can target the root cause of these problems, then why not, you know, instead of just trying to suppress the cancer or solve the cancer after it's already, you know, arrived, which is important, but prevention obviously is everything. So I really like this new position. And I, and maybe you can make this clear for me, because is it not until the FDA approves aging as a disease that things get a whole lot easier for scientists like you? Yeah, the issue, the issue in drug development is that in order to perform clinical trials and to develop a drug is that actually there has to be an indication that the drug is like prescribed for. So an indication being like a disease. So like we're, you know, developing a drug to treat a specific sort of cancer or a specific sort of neurological condition. That is like the end point in clinical trials. You know, if aging isn't considered as a disease, then essentially you can't do clinical trials and you can't develop drugs. And because it's a very gray area, drug development companies are very nervous about investing huge amounts of of money into it. And I guess that's the reason of like why my path is actually diverged away or, or moved away from drug development. Many people don't realize that to get a single drug to market, it takes around 10 to 15 years and costs hundreds of millions of pounds. And it's, it's generally quite an inefficient process. This is frustrating and for, for me and as many scientists find that it's incredibly frustrating that we're making such incredibly incredible breakthroughs in the lab, yet it takes years and years for any of these discoveries to actually make it to the, the wider public. And, you know, people aren't benefiting from these developments quickly because there's so much red tape in the way. And one of the things that really struck me when I was working in drug development was basically one of my jobs was to gather data back from the lab of thousands of molecules that we'd been testing in cells, looking at if they killed cancer or if they didn't kill cancer, essentially. Quite often, the top 10 molecules that actually worked really well would be put in the bin. And the reason they'd be put in the bin was because the companies couldn't get a patent for them because there was some what we call prior art, which means there's some sort of information out there in the world that shows that particular molecules already being implicated in cancer. And what that means is that you cannot patent it. Now, if a company can't patent it, they can't own it, and they're not, that means they're not going to invest the hundreds of millions into the research and development, so it's worthless to them. So for me, this was a real ethical you know, dilemma where it's like, well, I can see these things work really well, but the companies just don't want to know. It's quite shocking, actually, and... And that's what led me to start Nichido because it, it was looking at all these molecules and saying, well, I'm looking at this piece of paper and it says this molecule works really well. However, this company is not interested in it because it is a natural molecule that's found in something like green tea that they can't patent and therefore they don't want anything to do with it. From my perspective, the body doesn't know whether what you're taking is a supplement, is a nutrient out your tea or your food, or is a drug. 
it's it's regulatory authorities that place them in specific groups, but the body doesn't know. Yeah. So for me, the reason I found Inichido was to actually turn the kind of world of drug development on its head and say, well, actually, let's use the expertise that I have from drug development, but let's bring it into the world of supplements and try and bring some real science and some really good credibility into this world and actually bring out molecules that we can get to market really quickly that really do work and really do have some science behind them so that people can be benefiting through all these breakthroughs in the field of anti-aging right now, rather than waiting for the FDA to decide it's a good idea or waiting for drug development companies to have to jump through all the hoops and all the development and all the testing when there's things that people could be doing right now. That is so frustrating and to me seems so wrong that these companies don't like don't can't consider it or don't consider it because of the patent issue. I don't know how you even get over that. Do you think that'll ever change? Uh, No, I mean, I can completely understand it from a commercial perspective, because Mm -hmm. why on earth would a company invest hundreds of millions in something if they then can be copied by everyone else on the planet immediately after and they've done all the hard work, kind of the rules and regulations that are setting it up for a fall. So things would have to be done very differently to, to make it worthwhile. So whilst, you know, I understand it is an ethical dilemma, I understand the commercial point of view from it completely, but it's, you know, what do we do about that? (laughs) That's the question. Yeah. I mean, we can all, yeah, understand. Yeah. It's just not financially viable, Mm -hmm. but there's got to be a way around it. Well, that's like a whole other discussion. Um, yeah. Actually, there's one, I think, on Peter Atiyah's, one of his podcasts discussing this very topic. So I haven't finished it yet. So I have an opinion. I can see your dilemma. I can see your frustration. And I bet there's probably a lot of scientists like you, particularly the younger ones, I think would probably do the same. It's just that not everyone maybe is as ambitious as you because it takes a leap of faith to say I'm going to leave a really great job especially with you know it sounded like you were excited what you were working on you were leading an interesting project that made sense to leave is is huge so you know what was it that finally you know made you get the courage to to leave and start something new Yeah, well, I have to say everyone thought I was crazy. Everyone thought what, you know, you have this, you're placed on a pedestal, you know, working in drug development and how fabulous. But I've, you know, seen it from the other side was like, actually, no, no, it's not. Um, It's not that fabulous. And there's a lot of deep rooted issues that aren't going to change anytime soon. And for me, the year that I spent meeting all the scientists involved in aging research and really diving into all the research and looking at the credibility behind it, quite, you know, quite frankly, it blew me away that all of this research was out there about all of the things that could be done to slow and reverse aging, that the majority of people, and I'm not even talking about just lay people, I'm talking about majority of scientists aren't even aware of, was just absolutely shocking. And from that point on, I just thought it's it's a no-brainer. You know, it's look at the impact that slowing aging has on all of these different diseases. Like it almost sounds stupid to try and treat cancer individually when actually age is one of the biggest risk factors for it. Mm-hmm. Like aside from anything else that's actually promoted as a risk factor for cancer. It, for me, it was a no-brainer. 
is it a no brainer because of any, anything that's occurred in your life or something? I don't know if you have a family with issues, but cause you're very young and I don't know, maybe you just, you look young. <laughs> How old are you? Well, I have an 11 year old daughter, so I'm not that young. <laughs> okay. So what you're doing is no, I'm 33, <laughs> 33. So you, you, one, you look youthful, you do, you look like you're in your twenties. So what you're doing is great, but even so, you know, it is still, it, it's young. And I don't know if it's just the culture right now, of the younger people, but I find that more and more are, are concerned about aging at such a young age. And when I was 33, I was not thinking about so much about aging. Yeah. For me, I mean, personally, I saw my grandparents really, really suffer. For as long as I can remember being a child, my my grand my grandfather really suffered with you know arthritis. He suffered with bad heart. He got prostate cancer and died of cancer, and it was quite prolonged. Grandmother, she um, had a stroke. She spent ten years not being unable to walk because of that. She was literally you know bedridden and had gone from being quite a, an outgoing and active person. And for me, you know that just really really stuck in my head and I was just like I do not want to end up like that and when I started getting in age and research that was really when my grandmother was ill and you know all I could think about was how there were so many other older people that were in that situation and there was actually things that could be could be helping them or could have helped prevent it that actually weren't that groundbreaking but just nobody knows about them and nobody's taught about them so for me it was you know my my mission is is to translate this breakthrough science that is happening and tell as many people that I can about it that you know my personal goal is to do that that's probably more of a personal side of why I do it as well it sounds super interesting and I can totally understand hey I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. When you left and you decided you want to bring some of this research and these, these you know, um, simple, I guess, molecule or simple things that, that people can do so that you can get them out in the market faster for people to slow aging, why did you focus on NAD and also explain what NAD is? Because there may be people listening who have no idea what that is. So NAD is is one of these breakthroughs that I was talking about, and there's been multiple breakthroughs. NAD is not the only thing that has been shown to have an impact on aging. There are, are many other areas of science that also have really great promise. But NAD was initially one that we were really interested in. Basically, it's a natural molecule that's found in every single cell in the body. It's very, very important for multiple different reactions, but I'll focus on, I'll focus on two things that, are, are, that you should really remember when you think about NAD. The first is that NAD is critical to help your cells unlock the energy from food. So it is very, very important in the, the cycles, the metabolic cycles that actually create ATP, which is the energy currency of the cell. And they create that out the food that you eat. 
And without NAD, this process literally couldn't happen and you'd be dead in 30 seconds because your cells simply wouldn't have any energy to survive. So it's absolutely critical for this energy production. And that's probably initially what NAD was best known for, because it's been known for, for many, many years that we have NAD in our cells. But more recently, one of the things that NAD has been known for is to actually be involved as a cell signaling molecule. So NAD is very closely linked to the metabolic status of the cell and your NAD can rise and fall and it signals to the cell to switch different things on and off. And some of the main processes that it switches on and off are actually repair and maintenance proteins in the cell. So when your NAD levels are high in the cell, it signals the cell to actually be really quite resourceful and look after itself and switch on cellular cellular repair, make sure things are getting recycled, make sure the cell's in good health. And then when NAD levels drop low, it basically tells the cell, okay, you can be a bit more wasteful and we can switch off repair and we don't need to be recycling everything. So that rise and fall in NAD levels is actually influencing what repair and maintenance is happening in the rest of the cell. So NAD can rise and fall as we age both ways. It can rise and fall as we age, and that's why it's linked to aging, but it also rises and falls naturally throughout the day. It's actually quite, um, has quite a, a peak and trough rhythm throughout the day. It's never completely stable. And it's very much influenced by the energy status of the cell. Is there an availability of nutrients or is there not an availability of nutrients, basically? Mm -hmm. And the reason that NAD is linked to aging is because NAD has been found to be really high when we're young and when we're born and then basically decline throughout, throughout our lives. Now, the issue with this is if it's high when you're young, that's great because all the cellular maintenance and repair is switched on. All of the energy production is really efficient. However, as it's declining, as you're getting older, remember that lower NAD means this repair is getting switched off. It means energy status of the cell is going down. And ultimately, that means that you can get an accumulation of damage in the cell. And that basically leads and manifests to the signs and symptoms that we associate with aging. Now, the big breakthrough was when it was demonstrated that actually, if you don't let NAD decline as you get older, and you actually either boost it back up to youthful levels, or you keep it at youthful levels, so like don't let it decline, that you can actually pause and even reverse signs and symptoms of aging and increase what we would call health span, which is a number of years of your lifespan that you actually live in good health. Yes, I love that word health span. Um, A lot of people don't know what that means. It's not lifespan that we want. Lifespan, we're getting that. But most of those years, the end, 20, 30 years even, can be pretty decrepit. And and so it's the important key is to live a longer life, but in a good condition. And that's what health span is. Okay, so we got NAD. We know we need to have it. And you mentioned that we can boost it or keep it at higher levels throughout a lifetime. One of my questions is how... And two is, what do you forgot? (laughs) I'll I'll remember it in just a second. NAD can be boosted in multiple ways. So some of the the really free and easy things are are actually lifestyle. NAD is, is really affected by your lifestyle. So things like exercise are actually really good at boosting NAD levels. And a lot of the benefits of exercise can be associated with the increase 
in NAD. Um, things like intermittent fasting, calorie restriction have been shown to boost NAD levels as well. Again, just notice the theme there. So exercise and calorie restriction, fasting, they influence the level of the energy status of cells, which is why they're boosting NAD up and down. So you imagine if you're exercising or you're fasting, it's causing the energy status of the cell to go down. So the cell responds by pushing NAD high to say to the cell, well, we need to switch on repair and maintenance and recycling because we're not getting any new nutrients coming in. So we need to look after this cell. And that's why NAD goes higher with things like exercising and calorie restriction. Fasting and exercise and calorie restriction is such a big term. It can mean so many things. Exercise can just be going for a gentle walk, or it can be hitting it hard in in a high intensity training class. Is there one that's better than the other? It would be hitting it hard. (laughs) Um, And that is because you need to create an energy deficit. Oh, so you need to sweat. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And does it matter how many times a week or how long or? I don't think there's been any specific research that's shown a very specific training plan or anything like that is associated with it. But the main thing is that it it has to create an energy deficit in the cell because the way it works is it it activates another molecule called AMPK, which which is in the cell. And AMPK is like the, the kind of global energy sensor that's activated with fasting or with exercise. And you've got to cross a threshold for that to be activated. And when that is activated, basically what it does is it switches on NAD production in the cell by increasing levels of the enzyme that makes NAD in your cells. So by doing exercise and by fasting, you're you're literally switching on the NAD factory in your cell. We can't measure AMPK ourselves unless we're in a lab, I guess. But so we will know if we have hit that when we have energy. Is there like that the, the way we will know what we're doing is working? So, sorry, say that again. So, so like if you say, since we can't measure NPK or we can't measure if our exercise or fasting is working on a cellular level, how will we know? Is it, will we know because we'll have more energy in general? Yeah. So, so NAD is very intimately linked with your, your energy status. And the reason it is, is because of what NAD is actually doing in the cell to produce energy. So Mm -hmm. what it does is it's involved in something called a a redox reaction, which is literally the movement of electrons from like like one state to another. And NAD basically acts as like a, a carrier, or you can think of it a bit like an empty bus that's basically shuttling electrons back and forward in the mitochondria. Simply by shuttling these electrons back and forward, it's generating energy. So the higher the NAD level you have, the more shuttle buses essentially have to shuttle energy in the mitochondria and produce ATP, which is actually the the fuel that your body needs. It has mm-hmm. to be in that form. So interesting. So then if we have if we feel like we've had we've got a lot of energy, energy is good, we can kind of can we guess that we have good levels of NAD? Yes, you can. Yeah. And if we're feeling sluggish and not right, and the exercise that we're doing or the fasting that we're doing is not working, then it's probably we don't have enough NAD and we've got to switch it up or do something else. And so the same thing with fasting is again, fasting could be a 12 hour fast or a 10 hour fast, or I meaning like that's a very short one or a very long one, or is it days, is it hours? How long do we need to fast to get the NAD boosted? 
you don't have to do prolonged fasting. It's more just if you practice intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding, fitting all your meals into a shorter window and having a longer period in between meals, that's actually promoting you going into that energy deficit in the cell of around 14 to 16 hours. That's enough to start boosting the NAD levels up. So 14 to 16 hour fast would generally be just fine to boost NAD. And if you did longer ones, like 24 hours or three hour, three day fasts, is that any better for the NAD? I don't think there has been any specific research on the different lengths of fast, but obviously with fasting, it's not just NAD that you're actually boosting. There's a lot of other benefits that are happening there with the, which are re- require longer periods of fasting, such as getting rid of senescent cells out of the body, which are these problematic inflammatory cells that are secreting loads of waste products which is a benefit things like autophagy which is cellular recycling they're activated with longer periods of fasting aside from NAD longer fasting also has a lot of other benefits which are are linked to aging we could talk about fasting for a long time Mm. Um, what else other than exercise and fasting can boost NAD well, the other the other main thing is is supplements, and this is how it was actually discovered that NAD uh, boosting NAD levels could actually improve health span in mammals because uh, scientists said, okay, so if we've got this molecule in our cells that's declining with age, and we think this decline is switching off repair and switching off longevity genes and things like that. Let's give these mammals, which were mice. Let's give them something in their water as they age to stop them from losing their NAD. So they, they supplemented their water with precursor to NAD. And all that means is a precursor is a, one of the building blocks or one of the ingredients that the body actually uses to make NAD these mice basically had an endless supply of the building blocks for NAD. And what they found is that the mice were able to use these building blocks, turn it into more NAD so that their NAD levels didn't decline. And the mice that were left to age and had nothing else done to them actually fed really well because they had this high levels of NAD, whereas the control group that hadn't had any of this precursor put into the water got old. And if you look at the, the difference in pictures, you know, it's very, very obvious which group had had the NAD and which didn't. Okay, you're talking about precursors. Yeah. Why is, not, is there no NAD direct? I know I've heard of NMN and NR, but as a precursor, but why can't you just take NAD straight up? So NAD is is a really big molecule. It struggles to cross over cell membranes. So you remember when I said at the start, you know, part of my my PhD was looking at how things get over cell membranes. So generally things can diffuse freely over it. NAD can't. Um, If it can't diffuse freely over a membrane, then it needs to be transported across by a little channel or something that uses energy to pump it across. There are, there are some channels in, in the brain that do allow NAD through, but they're not ubiquitously expressed throughout the body. So what that means is that the majority of cells actually can't let NAD in. It simply won't cross over. Hmm. So what has to happen is the cells have to take up the building blocks or the ingredients that they can use to make NAD they are smaller, so they transport them easier into the cell. And in some cases, they will just diffuse straight over the cell membrane and enter really easily. And then within the cell, the cell has all the enzymes or like the machinery to be able to put these building blocks back together and create NAD. 
So NAD is actually manufactured in the cell directly where it is needed because NAD has its effect in the cell. So the cell makes it there. Mm, okay, that's interesting. Then I, that makes sense. No one's making an NAD capsule. <laughs> you have to make it. Yeah, and people, you know, there are companies that sell pure NAD capsules. Scientifically, it it absolutely doesn't make sense. And, and I would encourage people not to to think that by taking NAD as a capsule that it's going to get anywhere useful. <laughs> yeah. The next question is then what supplements, because I, I've heard of, and I know everybody who's been here, not everyone, some people who are here has asked that question too, about NMN and, and NR, how are those is that, do those work for real or not? Should we be taking those? And there was a question, what's the difference between NMN and NAD? So the precursors that people will have probably heard of are NR, which is nicotinamide riboside, NMN, which is nicotinamide mononucleotide, niacin or nicotinamide, they're kind of structurally the same thing. Basically, they're all different derivatives of vitamin B3. So they're all fairly similar, but they've all got tiny little different structural bits on them, which mean they've all got different names. They are all precursors. So they all are ingredients that the body can use to make NAD. Because the body, you know, because NAD is so incredibly important in the body, it's not a surprise that it can use multiple different ingredients to make it. It's got to have redundancy. It can even actually make NAD out the amino acid tryptophan if it really needs to, although that process is actually really quite inefficient. So the body doesn't tend to choose to do that. It uses these other precursors. The early work that was looking at showing that boosting NAD levels could improve health span and improve multiple different diseases of aging was focused on giving mammals or or people these precursors and actually showing that these precursors could boost NAD levels in the cell and that this boost in NAD had favorable outcomes in terms of the health of the, the mammal or the person. Precursors do work. There is a lot of published evidence. There are a lot of clinical trials to show that taking a precursor will boost your NAD levels and it will have favorable outcomes in terms of of health, cellular health and whole organism health. And there is so much research on that that's undeniable. Where we come in is we kind of said, well, let's look at this in a slightly different way. Let's look at how supplement companies at the moment are trying to boost NAD. And then let's look and see based on the latest science, if there's actually a more sustainable way to boost NAD, or if there's a more a more logical way to boost it that makes more scientific sense based on what we now know, because what we have to remember is science advances. And since initial discoveries with these precursors showing that they improved NAD levels, there's also been a lot of further advances understanding why our NAD is declining and what other things are going on in there. I think the main thing for everyone to be aware of is that it's very, very well publicized now that the reasons that our NAD actually declines in our cells is not because the cells have a lack of these ingredients or these precursors. It's actually because the cells become really inefficient at actually making these ingredients or these precursors into NAD as they get older. Mm -hmm. So it's known that the main enzyme in this, this sort of cellular factory that's producing NAD declines with age. So immediately we thought, well, 
simply by just trying to put more of these precursors into the cell, is this still a really sensible way to be boosting NAD? Like what happens if you took a different approach and you actually look at ways to try and fix the machinery in the cell that makes NAD? Because surely there's going to be a limit where you can only keep putting so much raw material in and the cell's just going to be like, well, I can't do anything with it because I don't have the enzymes anymore to turn it into NAD. And, you know, I often say to people, just think of the cell as a factory. So if you had an NAD production line in a factory and this factory became old and the machines weren't working and the pipes were leaking and there was no staff and you wanted to increase production, would you say, oh, well, we'll just order more ingredients in and we'll dump them at the factory gates and surely that would increase production? It, it would be stupid. It wouldn't work. You need to address the root problems. You need to look at why, why is my factory staff not working? Why are my pipes leaking? I need to fix them. Why are my machines not working? Maybe I need to upgrade them. Like you, you should be taking that approach. So in our company, that is how we decided to approach an NAD supplement. Rather than just putting the raw material into the cell, we look at ingredients that are actually designed to fix the problems that have occurred with age in the cells. So namely, boost expression of these enzymes that turn the raw material into NAD. We look at inhibiting different processes in the cell that are actually wasting NAD because as well as the cell becoming less efficient at making NAD, it actually becomes really wasteful with NAD as we get older. This is so interesting and it is a perfect analogy with the factory. So what your approach is doing is getting to the root cause of the problem, fixing quote unquote the factory, are you also bringing in the raw materials and fixing the factory at the same time as in, and also not having this waste of NAD? Yes, absolutely. So we have a precursor ingredient in there, but then we also have ingredients in there that boost an enzyme called NAMPT. And NAMPT is the main enzyme that actually recycles NAD in the cell. So another thing that many people don't realize is that your body and your cells have this really amazing capability to recycle NAD. So when NAD is actually used up, it gets broken down into its precursor, um, which is called nicotinamide. And then this nicotinamide is then actually recycled straight back into fresh NAD again via something called the salvage pathway. And the salvage pathway is what really declines with age. And it's been shown that if you can actually improve the salvage pathway and improve recycling, that you can actually slow the NAD decline. By how much? Like a lot or a little? No, you don't have to say exactly, but significantly or, in, or just a so little? So it it's now believed that actually the cells generate the majority of their NAD via that salvage pathway. And that's why it declines so dramatically as we age because that pathway begins to fail. Oh, wow. So what you're doing is supporting this pathway, supporting the fact that you can recycle your own NAD. Yeah, exactly that. And initially, from looking at all the data, we thought, well, okay, so, so let's look at a multi-targeted approach or a whole systems approach, as we call it. Let's look at a, a supplement where you're actually putting the raw material into the factory. You're actually improving the machines by activating the enzymes. You're fixing the leaky pipes by inhibiting things like CD38, which are wasting NAD. And there's a whole host of other things it does as well. But we're taking this whole systems approach by fixing the cells natural ability to be able to make and recycle and retain its own NAD. 
And just as proof of concept, what we actually did was we did an experiment where we looked at boosting NAD without a precursor. So all we did is we made a cocktail of, of, um, of active ingredients that was only designed to actually boost the cellular function. So no, no raw material coming into the factory, literally just fixing the factory. And we found that in a human, we could boost NAD levels just as much as, ha- as a precursor, but without any precursor. Wow. So what that shows is that actually just fixing your cell's own ability to make its NAD is actually just as good as just trying to pour more raw material in there and there's a lot of published data that's out there you know that hasn't come from us that shows exactly this effect for example there's something called cd38 which is now known to be the biggest consumer of nad so it's it's literally it's an inflammatory protein it's waste in nad so for every one molecule of its downstream factor that it makes it has to use about 38 molecules of NAD. So that's a huge amount. Yeah. So if you can just inhibit that process, even just a small, small bit, you can actually boost NAD. And it's been shown that inhibiting CD38, you can actually boost your NAD levels in cells by 50%. And that's wow. just by that one little thing. So when you do that, plus you fix the salvage pathway, plus you put the new raw material in, there's lots of different things that all actually come together, equaling a much bigger boost in NAD levels. So this is what you are doing right now. You've created this product that can do all of these things, but does it work the same on everybody or does it depend on the, the state of the health of the person, the age, et cetera? So I think just a key point for anything is that any drug, any food, any supplement is always going to work differently on different people because we're all different with anything. It's just like when some people say, oh, well, a particular food doesn't agree with me because it gives me indigestion or something like that. It's the same with supplements, everything or drugs, everyone's unique and different. So you can never predict exactly how it's going to work in anyone. But the general consensus is that all of these different problems are happening in all of our cells to differing degrees. Therefore, if you can target multiple different points, you've got a better chance of actually having something that works in more people. Okay. So NR and NMN are, are these uh, precursors as well. These are the raw materials, I'm guessing, but they're not fixing the factory. Like no. what's significant difference. If you said most of the NAD is done produced because of repairing the you know, it's making itself and wants to recycle it, then how effective is then NMN and NR? So our initial pilot studies were in two people, in two human volunteers aged between 45 and 55. And basically we supplemented, give them supplementation. And we found that we got an increase in cellular NAD levels of an average of 242% over 16 days of taking our supplement. If you look at studies that are out there and published with precursors, 
you find that on average, it's around 40 to 60% increase in NAD levels with that approach. So the reason that we think we got these better results is by taking this multi-targeted approach and not just throwing more raw materials in, but actually fixing the factory and fixing the cell's ability to make its own NAD. And we've currently got a clinical trial running with um, a much bigger group of people with 28 people where we're looking at validating these results. And these people across a much broader age range. So from 20 to 80, we should have been finished this trial by now, but because of COVID, everything in the world (laughs) is paused uh, where you've got any interaction with people. So unfortunately that is still not finished, but you know, we're excited for those results to show what happens over the different ages and in a bigger group of people. Then you'll have a better idea when, what age should somebody be start starting this type of supplementation? Yeah. And, you know, that's a question I get asked quite a lot. In terms of NAD, you know, if you look at the data in, in skin and brain and other tissues of NAD decline, it really is quite exponential. In you know, it, you're looking at around a 50% decrease every 20 years. About age 80, you've only got 10% of the NAD levels left that you had this is a, you know, a huge decrease. And even by the time you're my age, you've lost an awful lot of NAD. Really, NAD is something that your body's used to having very high levels of. And it's something that boosting from, from a fairly early age is, is beneficial. Fairly early, you mean like in your 20s? <sighs> I I wouldn't like to put an exact age on it because the studies haven't been done that, you know, absolutely put a pin on the map. But if you look at the data that there is for various tissues, you know, by about age 30, it's really starting to head on the downward curve. For me personally, I boost my NAD and I'm 33. Why are we losing so much NAD and why do you think it happens around age 30? The main two reasons that you're you're losing NAD is is firstly the inefficiency of the salvage pathway. So that enzyme NAMPT decreases with age. So your body (coughs) is using up NAD, but it's not able to replenish it. And then the other one is CD38. That expression increases with age and that's due to low levels of inflammation, which are linked to other aspects of aging that are increasing CD38 levels and causing it to, to really use up a lot of NAD wastefully when it, when it needn't. And they're the two major reasons why it's actually declining. So the second one was lifestyle and diet or what would you- uh, yeah so so you know any anything in your lifestyle that's gonna damage your body and require repair generally will use up nad things like dna damage from um sunbathing you know getting your skin burnt with the radiation to a bad diet to smoking things like that they're all damaging your body and damaging your DNA. And that means that your repair processes have to upregulate. And one of the main repair process that processes that fixes damaged DNA actually uh, uses up NAD. So DNA repair enzymes almost have to use NAD as a fuel. So the longer we're around on this planet and the longer we're living and the more sun exposure and other things that we're doing that we're not supposed to, the more DNA damage they get in and the more NAD that you have to have to actually turn on the repair processes to fix it. Are there any studies that probably not, but that show if you have a very healthy lifestyle and diet and, and you reach the age of 40 or 50 or 60, can they measure the fact that those people may have more NAD 
um, without supplementation in general than somebody who's at the same age or even younger and having an unhealthy lifestyle? don't think there's been any studies done exactly like that it kind of nicely brings us on to about measuring NAD because I know there'd been quite a few questions about like how can I measure my NAD and how will I know what my NAD levels are and things like that Mm -hmm. Um, and again it's something I get asked all the time basically you can you can measure NAD in a lab like that's done a lot all over the world at a, a lot of different labs Uh, The issue that there is, is that NAD is a very unstable molecule. So remember how I was talking about it flipping between different states and um, very easily because that's what it's designed to do. Well, this means that it can degrade very, very easily. So when it's not in the cell or it's outside the body or anything like that, it can break down like very, very quickly. Um, And what this means is that you can measure NAD, but you have to be very, very quick and very, very controlled in the way that you do it. So many other kits that we sort of spoke about at the start, you'll take a swab or you'll take a little blood sample and you will send it off in the post and then you'll get your results a couple of weeks or months later. They are generally based on, on biomarkers that are quite stable. So they'll, they'll survive the post <laughs> um, and they'll survive getting to the lab, but NAD simply won't. And that is why there are no NAD kits available that you can just do as a consumer in your own home. Mm. Because by the time that blood actually got to a lab, there would just be nothing meaningful left to measure. So when we do our, our trials in the lab, what actually has to happen is the blood comes out of the person it immediately is on ice and then it immediately in the next room is actually um, extracted there's no hanging around for the NAD to degrade and that is the only way you can get reliable measurements the other thing is that actually measuring NAD can be quite an expensive process because of the way that you have to do it you use something called mass spec that's not the cheapest laboratory technique to use and is, is quite highly skilled for someone to do it Just to be wary that there are companies coming out and saying, oh, you know, I'll measure your NAD, but you need to be very, very aware that probably what you get back won't be accurate. And I wouldn't say that I've seen any kits that have reliably measured NAD for a consumer. So then how do we know uh, what we're doing is working? If we started taking Nuchito time plus and we say okay we're gonna do this fix the factory bring in the raw materials how do we know it's working and how long would it take I think that that's you know one of the key leap of faiths is that you know as long as people can't measure NAD how do they really know it's working and that's where us as a company and I know other companies that are also involved in NAD are actually trying to do clinical studies in humans to show look you know we're testing it on people like you and actually demonstrating what it is doing in their bodies and making that data available so you can can trust that it should be doing a very similar thing in your body. So you're looking at biomarkers of different people or, or age or their, I don't know, levels of blood serum, I don't know, insulin levels or a, a female, male. Yeah. So in our initial studies, you know, we've demonstrated that a supplement boosts NAD levels within two weeks of taking it to a significant amount. 
We also look at a lot of downstream markers of what it's what the NAD is actually doing. So we're looking at levels of damage in the cells. We're looking at mitochondrial function to show that the, the mitochondria and the energy production is better. Looking at DNA damage. We're looking at activation of the sirtuins. The sirtuins, they are basically proteins that are very, very involved in, in health span because they switch on a lot of genes that are involved in healthy aging. And basically, Basically, the way NAD is linked to the sirtuins is that the sirtuins need NAD as their fuel. Mm -hmm. So without NAD, the sirtuins simply can't work. Um, and what the sirtuins do is they're linked to something called epigenetics, which I'll mention because I know there was a question on that. So epigenetics is, so genetics is the genes that you have that you were born with. Epigenetics is basically which of those genes are switched on and off. And that changes throughout your life. It changes on a daily basis. It changes when you sleep. It's changing all the time. And that's your epigenetics. And, and really, that's a more important reader than genetics because it shows a picture of actually what's happening in the body. Mm -hmm. Now, the way NAD and the sirtuins are linked to epigenetics is that the sirtuins are something that they're called histone deacetylases. And what that means is that they, they take away little tags of the DNA. And these tags kind of say whether this gene should be switched on or off. And when they take away the tags, it switches on or switches off different genes. And in the case of the sirtuins, it switches on and off a lot of genes that are involved in um, a healthy long lifespan and are involved in repair and other things that are generally associated to be good with aging. The important thing is without NAD, they don't do anything. <laughs> So NAD is critical for activating those. So in some of our studies, we look at, we've shown that NAD is higher in these people, but can we see if sirtuin activity is higher because the sirtuins are actually switching on all those repair processes and they're actually the things that are making all those beneficial things happen. There's a question here Magdalena has about what about when you measure B3? Is there any correlation with your NAD levels? So measuring B3 is just like measuring the precursors. B3 is a precursor. And basically all that's doing is measuring the amount of raw material you've got. It's not measuring how much of it it's actually being made into NAD. So it's, it's kind of irrelevant in terms of, of looking at NAD. So I want to ask a little bit more about the product you've come up with, Nuchito Time Plus. And I've been taking it for about a month. So I have a lot of questions about it. How do you know if it's working? Like, what is, what are you seeing from most of your, your clients or the people who've, who've um, tested it out? And is there a difference between like, for example, when it comes to energy, I'm doing so many things, I've got great energy. So like, I don't even know how much more I can get. And it's probably not a good thing if I get too much. How do people know? And is there a difference between people who already have lots of energy and people don't? And the second one was, can we have too much NAD? So first question is, generally what we see is that people that are generally healthier and fitter have noticed less benefit initially because they tend to have higher NAD levels because they're engaging in things like fasting and exercise and they generally have less things that are damaging their body that's trying to use up NAD to repair it. So as a general rule of thumb with our customers, people who are fitter and healthier tend to have a more subtle effect. The people that we that really notice a difference are those people that kind of already have some sort of ailment. So like they have some sort of 
energy deficiency or they have a like a metabolic type syndrome or they are older they are the people that we get the most feedback from to say like wow we've really noticed a difference just as an example in this very generalized group we get a lot of customers that are perimenopausal women who've noticed a real drop in energy levels this was kind of something we weren't really expecting, but the amount of, of women that had come and said, you know what, it's really helped with my energy and my brain fog. And obviously both those things are associated with low NAD levels and low mitochondrial function and drop in estrogen actually influences the activity of the mitochondria. So scientifically, it actually makes sense. It's just not something that we have actually done any proper studies on, but anecdotal evidence shows that people are clearly having an effect. Other things like I can't mention diseases because that would make us a drug, but just in general, low NAD levels are associated with people suffering from things like um, Lyme's disease and chronic fatigue syndrome. And generally speaking, people with these types of diseases usually notice a benefit by increasing their NAD levels. Is there Nicola, a Hi. Uh, yeah, let me just congratulate you on a great product. You know, it's wonderful. Thank me. you. Yeah. That's and, very kind. Thank the you, question, The question you, you ha- have on aging and or the, uh, you know, the older you are, for me, it was wonderful because then it worked like within, I would say within a month. I've been doing it for over a year now. Huge difference. Is, it, know, so is it your energy? You have that- it. You know, if you want to know anything about all the different things that's changed for me, it's incredible, really. What if it's what's so, changed? Congratulations on that. What did you see in, in, in the first month or after the first month? Energy, you know, the workout stuff, you know, you, when you get my, my age, you don't really want to do workouts, you know. Uh, the first thing that happened was I, all of a sudden I started doing workouts again. And, and it's not like, well, I don't really want to do it. I don't feel like it. But if you have the energy, you can do it. Mm-hmm. So I started a workout regime again. So that's a, that was a first, I, I guess, the first thing you get the, you get the energy. You know, I get all kinds of things, you know, fingernails grow better, the skin heals quicker, all those kind of health things that um, kind of lose as you get older. It's uh, a wonderful product. Oh, that's so great to hear a testimony. Someone has used it for a whole year already. Yeah, over a year now. Oh, that's But I, I also did the epi age thing, too. And that and that uh, blew me away. You know, I, I was like 14 years less than what I expected. Oh, so, really? you know, I don't know what I, I, I don't even think it was accurate, I, you know, because it was, you know, that much different. <laughs> well, I want to do it again. I want to get a different company to do it next time. So there was a question earlier. Uh, which company did you test? Did you test? Well, with? I used I used epi age. Epi-H, okay. I think they're out of China. Do you have another one that you're going to look at? Well, that's what I was questioning, which one you guys use, because I thought I would use one of theirs. I know you guys are doing a study now, so I was wondering which company you're using right now for your people that you're testing right now. Yeah, so a lot of the testing we're, we're actually doing in partnership with academic laboratories rather than a commercial company. But I know just just a couple that I'll mention, just because I, you know, I've spoke to the people and the founders that have stood out to me. Uh, Chronomics, they seem to be on the right track. And there's also another company called Glycanage, which do things a little bit differently. Um, you know, they're not looking at epigenetic age; they're looking at more Ig markers. Um, so I think they would be ones to that I would certainly look at. Glycanage. 
Glycanage, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of Glycanage. That popped up somewhere. It sounds very familiar. There's another question here. Thank you, Dave. The another question says, I take Nichido at the same time with diatomaceous earth. I'm not sure what that is. Are they compatible or should I take them separately? Do you know what that is? I don't know what that is, but just as as a general rule, we would say don't take our product with any products containing uh, the same ingredients. And the reason for that is because a lot of the ingredients in our product are already at like the highest recommended dose anyway. So there's a risk that you could exceed your daily allowance by doubling up on products that are containing the same ingredients. Thank you. There's, there was a question very early on that I didn't get to. And somebody asked the difference between getting NAD through a pill versus methods such as shots into the vein and other ways. NAD in its pure form, oral, no, <laughs> like broken down in the gut. It's very unstable. There's a lot of companies doing sublingual. Again, I'd like to see some data that actually shows it. it's getting to where it, it, it says it should. I, IV infusions. Again, some cells can take up pure NAD, some cells can't. I mean, the majority of cells can't. So a lot of the data looks like the NAD is actually broken down into the precursors, then it's absorbed. But I think the, the main point to make with pure NAD, because often a, a lot of people's mindset is that, oh, I've got this NAD deficiency, so I need to put more NAD into myself. One thing to just be cautious of is remember what I was saying about the salvage pathway, okay? You you can put as much NAD into the body in as many ways as you want to try and do that. But the issue is once the NAD goes in, it might get used initially to repair something or to give you some energy. But then as soon as that's used up, it's broken back down into that precursor. So it's broken down into that raw material. And if your body does not have an efficient salvage pathway to recycle that, then it it has to be chucked straight back out of the cell again. So you can pay a lot of money to have an IV infusion. You can kind of get a, a a one pass of energy out of it, but then it's all excreted because the body can't recycle it again. Whereas if you could upregulate your salvage pathway, then that NAD you've just put into the system can keep going round and round. You can use it, it can get recycled again, you can use it again, and it can keep going round and round. So again, even with, you know, even if there suddenly becomes a load of evidence to say that pure NAD works, gets into the cell, you're still not actually fixing that root cause. So there's still a better thing that you can be doing. I don't think anyone's asked this question, but I might mention it because I know a lot of people ask me about it and it's about methylation problems um, and methylation problems when taking NAD supplements. So a lot of people tend to take something called trimethylglycine alongside an NAD supplement. Um, And the reason for this is, is that it's been shown that if you get a high level of NAD in the cell, it's sometimes the the precursors have to be excreted. So what they do is uh, the cell methylates the precursors to try and get rid of them essentially and this is an issue because if our cells are using all our methyl groups to try and get rid of this um, raw materials that it can't recycle basically all those methyl groups aren't being used for your epigenetics 
So remember the tagging the, the DNA to switch genes on and off, they require methyl groups. So if, if NAD is suddenly using up all these methyl groups, then they can't be used for that, which is a real problem. Now, the way to get around that is actually don't let any of this waste precursor build up in the cell. And you do that by fixing the salvage pathway. And then that gets rid of this whole issue of like, oh my goodness, I'm trying to supplement and I'm depleting my methyl groups. So again, you might think you're solving one problem and actually you're making another problem worse. With anything, you have to look at the whole system and you have to look at the root causes. And that's incredibly important, not just in NAD, but in any area of biology. You're so spot on. I absolutely agree with this. It sounds like there was a great analogy. I can't remember who said it, but imagine walking with a rock in your shoe and over time you get it hurts. And then you're just looking and you start taking some anti-inflammatories, you're trying to walk differently, then you get other issues and you keep looking ways to remove the pain. But in fact, the easiest thing to do is just take off the shoe and remove the rock. And rather than trying (laughs) to cover up the symptoms. So this this is what it sounds like Nuchita is doing. I want to get a little bit more into the formula, like very, very simple, very natural. And um, I don't know if you want to share some of the ingredients and how, how they work. That would be great because sometimes people think supplement, oh, it's a chemical, it's a molecule, it's something, you know, they may be afraid of that. But to me, it was, I was very surprised and very happy to see what I found. Yeah. And, and I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the body doesn't differentiate between a drug, a chemical, a nutrient, you know, it's just what we categorize as different things in due to regulations, but I can go through the ingredients and I can explain what, what they're actually doing in the product. So the first main one is that, as I mentioned, we do have a raw material, we do have a precursor in there. Um, And the one that we use is nicotinamide. Now you'll often see nicotinamide labeled as niacin, then in brackets as nicotinamide. Um, And this is because niacin in terms of regulations is considered a derivative of niacin. So nicotinamide is a derivative of niacin, which is a bit confusing because actually chemically they're different. (laughs) So it's a bit of a lie to kind of call them the same thing. A lot of people will associate niacin with a niacin flush, but that's actually the nicotinic acid version of niacin. Whereas niacin as nicotinamide doesn't cause the flush because it doesn't have the same structure. Um, So that's an important distinction. Um, But basically this is in our product as the raw material, the raw material that the body needs to make NAD. And then if we move on to the salvage pathway, got an ingredient in there called Sephora Japonica. Um, Now, the reason we've put that in is because it's a natural extract that actually contains some really powerful uh, flavonoids. In particular, the ones we're really interested in are the flavonoids quercetin, rutin, and chocsrutin, which have all been shown to upregulate the NM. NAMPT enzyme. So that's the enzyme that's in the salvage pathway, the one that decreases with age. So that's in there to boost that. We have got something called alpha lipoic acid in there, which is actually a pretty amazing ingredient because it has a a host of all sorts of benefits. But the reason that we have it in there is it actually activates AMPK. So remember AMPK is that 
cellular energy center that's activated by exercise. It's activated by fasting. And then it goes on to increase NAD levels. So we actually put that in there to almost mimic that exercise and the fasting as a way to actually boost NAD levels. And just as a side note, if you use any supplements with ALA in them, I always say this because make sure you get the right form. So you'll see ALA sometimes called as RALA or SALA. Now S is synthetic and actually this does nothing in the body and it's been proven. The only version of ALA that works is RALA, the natural form, which is what we use. And it's, it's a lot more expensive and it's a lot more high quality, but there's zero point using the synthetic form because it absolutely doesn't work. And that's very well known. So just look out for that. The one that seems a bit odd is, is parsley <laughs> um, that we've got in there. And again, this is because of some of the actives it actually contains. And the one that we're really interested in is something called apigenin. So apigenin inhibits the inflammatory protein CD38. So CD38 is this cell membrane protein that actually chews up NAD and it really wastes it and your expression of CD38 on your cells goes up as you get older. So as that goes up, your NAD drops because it's using it up. And apigenin has been shown to inhibit CD38 and using apigenin in cells, it boosts NAD by 50% alone without Mm. doing anything else, which I'd, I'd mentioned earlier. And, you know, the reason that we we put it in in the form of parsley is because a lot of these active ingredients are actually absorbed much better through the gut in their more raw form. And then the actives almost like released once it's across the membrane and in the cells. So again, that comes from my passion of my PhD about how you actually get actives into where you want them to get to in the cells. You know, if we just stuck pure apigenin in the supplement, it it wouldn't get to where it needed to be, but put it in in its raw form and you get a much higher absorption of it. So that's why the parsley's in there. Okay, if I drink green tea and eat my parsley every day too, is that an extra boost? Yeah, the only issue is you have to eat an awful lot of parsley. We did the calculation oh. <laughs> once to look at how much raw parsley you'd want to eat and it, it would probably put you off parsley for life. So <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. <laughs> how it but, is. Yeah, the green tea again. So the reason the green tea is in there is because it contains a powerful compound called epigallocatechin 3-gallate, which is abbreviated to EGCG. And that's perhaps, you know, one of my favorite molecules because it is so powerful and I've seen it pop up quite a few times when I worked in drug development. (laughs) It's a powerful compound that got put in the bin. The reason for that one is that it inhibits a cellular enzyme that actually methylates and excretes the raw materials from the cell. So I very briefly just touched on this methylation issue before, but basically if your salvage pathway isn't working efficiently, once NAD has been used, it's broken back down into nicotinamide, which is the the breakdown product. If it can't be recycled, what happens is it gets a methyl group attached to it and then it gets chucked out the cell to get metabolized by the liver and excreted. Basically, this extract actually inhibits that to promote recycling rather than methylation and excretion. So to help get around that that methylation problem. 
Yeah, and I think they're probably the key ones to point out. Got a couple of other ingredients in there just because, you know, they're just generally very good ingredients to have, such as zinc and vitamin C. And then black black pepper extract can improve absorption of, of various different actives in the gut. So we include that as well. They're amazing ingredients and actually things that you should be getting in your diet anyway. So I was really happy. I had to like go relook at all my other supplements and, and say, okay, maybe I don't need to buy you know, ALA anymore. So I can just get it from one capsule. So you pack in so many great things that I can, I could drop some others. There was a question since we're talking about the capsules, I will get to the other questions as well, that is still in the chat. I wanted to know that there was, I'm agree with this question is six capsules. There were three in the morning and then three in the afternoon, but not too close to bedtime. And the question was, well, that other person's question was, will there be a formula coming out where we don't take that many. And my question is, what if I took half or what if, cause I often forget, I have to put a timer usually around six to, I got to take the second dose because I don't want to take it too close to bedtime. And I'm wondering probably because of the green tea extract. The reason it's six is because we did a lot of different formulations and a lot of different ratios of the ingredients to get the final formulation. It was that amount of ingredients that actually did the magic. <laughs> so actually worked and, and got the NAD boost when we were testing it. At the time, we, we didn't, you know, we were testing it more as a, as a powder ra- altogether rather than in capsules. And when it got formulated into the final capsules, that is how many capsules it took up. So we were like, oh, that's not ideal. But the whole value of our company is to be based on science and be based on scientific fact. And we know that is the formulation that worked. So, you know, that's what we say to our customers. Six capsules works. We know it works. We, we weren't going to cut it in half. And just because it was more convenient, you know, the customer can make that decision if they only want to take half. But we know that six is the number that works. Unfortunately, we can't squash it into any less capsules because there's nothing in there that doesn't need to be in. So for example, there's no like fillers or anything that's bulking it out. That is just the pure active ingredient. So we can't fit it in any less. And um, some people have said, well, can you just put it in less capsules, but bigger capsules, which I think they're really big to begin with. So with, that's something we probably yeah wouldn't do. And then as for the split dose, so I'll just add that we do have a lot of customers that take half the dose and still report benefits. If there is an issue with taking six a day, it's not all lost. We do have a lot of feedback from customers that take half, but we haven't tested that ourselves. So we, we couldn't say for definite what, what it's actually doing if, you know, the efficacy is there or not. The other part of your question was about the split dose and bedtime. So the reason that it's a split dose is for regulations. The EGCG and the green tea extract following guidance from the EU, which obviously we're a UK based company that, well, used to abide by EU rules, but it's kind of changed a bit now. Basically for that particular ingredient, the rules are that if it's over a certain amount, you have to have it as a split dose. So that's why it's split into three capsules plus three capsules. The timing reason, again, is regulatory. So it's got nothing to do with us saying you have to take it at a specific time because it's going to improve efficacy. That's just because of regulations. Mm. And the four hours before bedtime recommendation is because the product does have a very, very, very small amount of caffeine in it. We understand that people, you know, some people are extremely sensitive to caffeine. And when I say a very small amount, it has one milligram per pill. 
and a cup of coffee generally has 90 to over 100 milligrams. So it's very minute, but we're just conscious that if there's anybody that is really sensitive to caffeine, that they might not want to take it before bedtime. But in the vast majority of people, that'll be like, you know, they wouldn't even notice it. It would be absolutely no issue whatsoever. But again, caffeine's a regulated thing that you have to make quite obvious to your consumers. And, you know, we don't add it as an extra. It's just a natural constituent of the green tea that's in there. So I'm going to try it then to take it at night because I'm not sensitive to caffeine. So I would maybe be one of those people and, and it would maybe be easier. I'm wondering if the capsules have half life, like would it be better to split out the six capsules all throughout the day, maybe two for breakfast, two for lunch and two for dinner? Yeah, you could matter. do that as well. And again, it just depends on how you like to take capsules. And um, so another thing that we we notice is that a lot of our customers find it better to take the capsules with food. Some people say like, oh, like my, my, you know, my tummy doesn't tolerate having taken three big capsules on an empty stomach. And so take it with food. But that's, you know, that's not unique to our supplement. Many people can't take capsules on an empty stomach. And so we, we say take, take it with food as well. Okay. There is another question here I want to get back to in the very beginning of our talk. They said fatigue is a symptom of long COVID. So do you think it's affecting the NAD? Yes, Absolutely. So there has been a lot of research that is coming out on this, um, which is extremely interesting. Um, and what the research shows is that in, um, in cells infected with COVID or slightly different variants of the, the SARS-2 virus, that what happens is you see a really sharp decrease in NAD levels. So the infection happens and NAD levels plummet. And then what you see in the cells is that they are actively trying to upregulate the pathways, including the salvage pathway, to actually try and make more NAD and recycle NAD. So it's almost like the virus is causing NAD to plummet. And then the cell is like, oh my goodness, we need to try and switch on any mechanism we can in our factory to try and recover this, which is really, really interesting because if you look at the fact that COVID is, you know, having a much neg- much more negative outcome in older people, well, you think of their NAD levels. So in general, older people have lower NAD levels. So if they're getting infected with this virus that's causing NAD levels to plummet, well, they're already at a worse starting point so it's harder to pull it back up. So, you know, for us, we've been following that, that really closely and, and this is really, really quite interesting. Yeah. So then I'm wondering if anyone's sick, just not necessarily, you know, COVID, we don't have any studies of obviously enough <laughs> with Nuchito, but it would make sense then if generally you're sick to, to be taking something like this that would help repair the factory and so that you can repair yourself much better. So if you were, if I were to fall sick, should I take even more Nuchito or just the same? Or do you, what would you recommend? I can't recommend anything because <laughs> we're a supplement. And I, you know, I know there's a lot of companies that are similar to us that I've got into a lot of trouble recently, trying to implicate that their products could help COVID. Uh, so all I'm saying is that the, the research that's out there that anyone is free to view on PubMed shows that NAD levels plummet in cells that have been infected with COVID and the cells actively try to upregulate NAD. 
That makes sense. There's a question here about celiac disease. Does, do you have any testimonials, anyone you've heard about with celiac disease? Can a new Cheeto influence that? I haven't had any customers actually that have come back about that one. So no, I don't know. And I can't think off the top of my head, any sort of research that that springs to mind either, I'm afraid. With somebody, it reminds me, if somebody has celiac, can they take your product? Is there anything in there like gluten? That no, works? it's, it's gluten-free. Okay. There's another question here. NMN and NR treatment resulted in the increase in the amount of precancers in pancreases in mice and making senescent cells more tumorigenic. How does it translate in humans and good long study in humans to confirm that NAD does not increase cancer? The short answer to that is that it it hasn't been translated into humans. So the particular study that you're talking about, basically what they did was they, it's a hard one to describe because I don't know how much people are familiar with senescent cells. Maybe it's a quick, a quick intro of senescent cells just so everyone can follow. So senescent cells are basically a device that the the body has to prevent cancer. So what happens is when there is DNA damage in a cell, there'll be a alarm bell kind of go off and say, um, we need to repair this cell. And sometimes there's so much damage in the DNA that it simply can't be repaired. So what happens is the cell actually just gets told to shut down. So it goes to sleep. So if we're thinking about the factory analogy again, it's like all the staff leave, everything shuts down and it's just left. And it's not recycled, it's not knocked down, it just goes to sleep. Now that's great because it stops us from getting cancer when we're young. But the issue is that it's now been found that these cells accumulate as we get older. And actually they're not just sitting quietly. They're actually um, derelict old factories that are leaking toxic waste. And what happens is they leak a load of inflammation and this inflammation then makes other cells go bad and it pollutes everything around it. And you end up with quite a big mess. And that's a whole talk for another time. But basically what what these studies have shown is that there's an intimate link between senescence and NAD. First of all, one side of the story is that if you've got a, a cancerous cell, perhaps could NAD actually help a cancerous cell because NAD repairs DNA. And remember that many um, anti-cancer drugs are designed to cause DNA damage to kill the cell. And is it that NAD could be repairing it in some way and helping it? Or could it be that NAD is giving a cancerous cell more energy or things like that? You know, our position on this is that is a very, very good example of what we call molecular reductionism, which is looking at a tiny piece of a picture without looking at the whole picture, because everything about NAD shows that NAD is negatively correlated with cancer. So as your NAD is declining, your rate of cancer goes up and vice versa. And actually NAD and all the things it does to protect from cancer actually far outweigh any benefit that NAD could actually give to a cancerous cell. So it's kind of like saying, we know that oxygen and glucose are are really good for our bodies to survive, um, but they're also good for cancer. Therefore, we better not eat and we better not breathe because we might have a cancer cell in there that might benefit from it. The other side of the story, which this paper brought up, was actually that these senescent cells are actually driving the decrease in NAD as well. So remember earlier, I spoke about CD38, and I said that increases as we get older. Well, senescent cells actually cause this. So some of the inflammation that they're secreting actually increases the levels of CD38, which then decreases NAD. 
And then when NAD decreases, you don't get the repair. And then that leads to things like cancer. So it's, it's kind of a huge vicious circle with many things going on. The overwhelming consensus is that having higher NAD levels and boosting NAD is a good thing to do. That's a great answer. But it reminds me a little bit about, say, telomeres. Telomeres, the, the caps and the ends of your chromosomes and yeah. a longer telomere correlated with a longer life. Then there's the fact that some cancer patients have very long telomeres. So there sounds like there's a sweet spot with that. And is there a sweet spot with your NAD? Can you have too much NAD? Would it be a bad thing to, to not to overdose, but to have your own levels of NAD too high? So again, just going back to, you know, our decline in NAD, our bodies are actually really used to having and actually favor high NAD. So if you think you say zero to 20, that's when we have our highest NAD levels. And that's when we're at our peak. That's when we can fall over, cut ourselves and it repairs straight away. That's when we can you know, resist DNA damage, that's when our rate of cancer is absolutely minute, because we've got these high levels of NAD that our body actually favors, prefers. So having a high level of NAD is not unnatural. In fact, that's the physiological norm for the body. Yeah, but I'm wondering if it can be too high. Is there a danger point? I think when you look at the the decline, you know, the declining graphs, I don't think there would I mean, we'd be doing extremely well if we managed to get it as high as you did and past the point of where you were born. Like, I just don't think that's even possible or whatever happened. So I think there isn't actually a danger of getting too high because the other thing you have to remember is the body is actually very good at controlling levels of things. So even if there was a point where it was too high, you know, you've got all these different routes that can excrete things and get rid of things and break down things. Mm -hmm. So those homeostatic mechanisms kick in. That makes sense. There's a question here that says, should or shouldn't add his or her 500 milligrams of NMN to the daily Nuchito regime? So that kind of falls under the, the explanation of that we wouldn't recommend using products with the same ingredients. Now, I know NMN is not the same ingredients. We use a different precursor but they're all considered a derivative of vitamin B3, which means they kind of ending up down the same routes in the body. We would say don't take any other precursors at the same time to avoid over supplementing with vitamin B3. Thank you. There's another little testimonial here in the chat. He says, I am 75 years old and have been able to increase the number of push-ups I can do in three sets. I went from 36 to 42, uh, 36, 36, 42, 37 through 755. I'm halfway through my third bottle. And I assume he means bottle of Nuchito. And there's another question here. Would you please share your regimen in terms of NAD and resveratrol supplementation? Well, first of all, to, to Alan, I think um, I think he can beat me on press up. So, <laughs> <laughs> well done. That's uh, that's incredible, and thank you very much for for sharing that. And yeah, I mean, my protocol is obviously I take our product. I also do the other lifestyle factors. So I would, sorry, I exercise and do intermittent fasting. As I get older, I will step up and, you know, follow the science and do other things that are going to help boost my NAD levels. Mm. So resveratrol, you don't take resveratrol? No, I don't. I don't actually take resveratrol. And the reason for that is because I'm I'm not completely convinced about it's um, how much actually gets into the cells from the gut, some of the formats that you can take it as. 
Where do you source your ingredients from? So our ingredients are sourced from all over the world and we bring them in and we do a huge amount of testing on them. So we do all the heavy metal testing. We do um, identity testing to check that there's nothing in there that shouldn't be and it is exactly what it is. We do all the microbe testing. We then actually formulate the product and then we redo all the testing again and um, to make sure that there's nothing happened in the production process that that's contaminated anything this is following GMP practice so the good manufacturing practice and it means that our facilities are pharmaceutical grade uh, we manufacture in the UK and the US in FDA and MHRA registered in, in checked facilities so we're quite stringent on um, our production and quality <laughs> processes Oh, that's good to know. That's super important with any supplement that you take, do your due diligence and try to find out how they source and what their standardization is. Because even if you've got great resources, if during the manufacturing process, it's contaminated or something happens, then not a great product. So it's really great to hear you're following those good manufacturing practices. What about, is there anyone who should not take Nuchito time? Anyone that has some health conditions or has taken other medicines or anything like that should always consult the doctor. I hope that many of you will have like more like a functional medicine doctor rather than a conventional medic because they won't know about NAD and the benefits and you'll probably not get the best answer. Always, if there's any worries, consult. There's so many different combinations of drugs and supplements and health problems that people could have that I can't kind of generalize. Um, And it's always best to check before engaging in any sort of supplement regime. That's great advice. And it's what I I tell as well my clients because plants are powerful. They can go real great or real wrong. Always check with your doctor if you have some conditions. Another question, do you would you say Nuchito time your products is something to take for the rest of your life or do we give it a break sometimes? I think the important thing to note is that because of the approach we take, which is just restoring the cell's natural ability to make its own NAD, it's not something that would kind of stop your body from creating its own NAD. Like a bit like when you take hormone supplements, it can impact the levels that your own body actually makes and your body can come dependent on it and things like that. There's no evidence to suggest that you should like have a, you know, a washout period or like break or anything like that. Okay. That's good to know. So super important. I love your website and your packaging is so cool. So if you guys go to the website, you know, you'll, you'll love it. Do you have any other products that you plan to launch in the future? So we're currently working on products that will be supplements that affect senescent cells. So they're the ones that I was just talking about Mm. earlier. That's good. I can't wait for that to come out. Another question that's been asked before is how does Nuchito affect the brain? Yes. So with our product, obviously, we haven't done any direct research on people's brains that are that are taking our products. So I can't say, you know, if there's there's any actual impact with that, apart from anecdotal evidence that we get from our customers, again, a lot around brain fog. So a lot of our our customers are reporting that they have much more, what's the word, they kind of feel like a fog's being lifted and they have mental sharpness and clarity and focus. But in terms of some actual hard scientific fact, it's very, very well known that NAD is incredibly important for the brain. So NAD in mouse models and and, um, mammal studies 
studies has been shown to have some really great effects when there's damaged neurons involved and actually helping repair damaged neurons and neurodegenerative disorders in mouse models of like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, ALS. It's found to protect from nerve damage and help regenerate after there has been nerve damage also helping it with things things that tend to have been like damage to the brain so things like hearing loss traumatic um brain injury retinal damage those kind of nerve connections and any damage that's happened to them there's a lot of good evidence to show it can really help with that not our product nad NAD, (laughs) yes exactly that and there's another question this is actually someone i do know um ask if, if this can help but um you're gonna have to answer can nad boosting just in general having more nad help people with spinal cord injuries who suffer from fatigue and energy issues? In general, we know there is a lot of evidence to show that NAD is important in repair and a lot of evidence that it's important in helping in a lot of different disorders that are associated with low energy. I don't know any directly on spinal cord injury, but judging by the effect it has on a lot of other energy related ailments and illnesses, it, you know, there's a good chance that it could, but I, I can't say that for certain. Okay. Another question. just want to say uh, memories uh, definitely improved. Great. Oh, that's yeah, great. Hear to that hear. A lot. That's really great to hear. I want to hear more testimonials. So if you guys are interested in testing out Nuchito, called Nuchito Time Plus. It's so easy to, to find. Um, it's great. Like I mentioned before, I love your website. It's so user-friendly and you give lots of great information, newsletter as well. I've signed up to that tells a lot about NAD, just NAD in general. It's um, super important. You can go to Nuchito.com. It's N-U-C-H-I-D-O.com. You can get 10% off. It was a code um, Zora... 10 off z-o-r-a 10 the number 10 off o-f-f and if you go there use that and you get 10 percent off i love it when we can get little gifts like that um the other place to find more information is you can reach out on instagram also nuchido and n-u-c-h-i-d-o facebook i can't remember if you have the facebook or or not yeah yeah we have facebook yeah also nuchido n-u-c-h-i-d-o what does that mean nuchido so basically the Okinawa uh, island off the coast of Japan um, is very famous for being a blue zone, which is where people live to great age. And they have a saying, which is Nushi Gusui, which is food is the path to long life. Now we're not involved with food. So we change it slightly to Nushi and Wei, which is Do. So it's like the way to long life, loosely translated in, in Japanese. Oh, I did not know that. That is something <laughs> I should know. I love it. The way to long life, Nuchito. Really wonderful. Okay, so uh, Instagram and Facebook is always Nuchito. You can remember that now. Instagram, to reach out to Dr. Conlon, you can, it's at dr. Dr. Nicola, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-C-O-N-L-O-N. Same thing for Facebook, Dr. Nicola Conlon. And LinkedIn, Nicola, with the CH in the middle, dash Conlon. And is there any other way that um, we need to know how to reach out to you, ask questions or? Uh, No, just um, you can go on our website. Uh, We have a a customer 
help on the website that people are free to to contact and myself on Instagram or Facebook. I get a lot of questions, but I do try and reply to people. And based on that, I just noticed there's a couple of more questions. And there's just one in particular that I'll answer from Ben best, just because um, I know Ben and see him at a lot of conferences. So hi, Ben. And he has asked, how important is CADPR produced by CD38? So it is important. So CADPR is the downstream signaling factor that CD38 produces after it's used up NAD. What that does is it activates quite a lot of our immune function. So immune cells are activated by this, which is good. And it is important. The issue that we have is when that you have too much CD38, you're getting too much activation. And this can lead to chronic inflammation in the body because you get in constant activation of these immune cells. So, so in a very short answer, I just wanted to, to answer that as well. And also, Andrew, thank you for your lovely testimonial about yeah. the gray hair. Let because me that is something that we had customers emailing us about. And I was like, really? Like, well, you let, know, me, let ha- me read the let me read the <laughs> testimonial because on the podcast, no one will can't read it. So I have yeah. to say it. Andrew says taking half a dose average of three to four pills per day, taking Nuchito together with other longevity protocols, I saw 95% of my gray hair turn back back to brown this year. Also, both my 92-year-old dad uh, and I had COVID and knocked it out of the park with Nuchito and hydrogen water in one week. My dad is doing amazing. 92. What an amazing testimonial. Um, Thank you, Andrew. What's What's going on here? That one for me, the gray hair, like I say, we had customers um, reporting it. And actually it was when my own mother actually started saying like, Nicola, look at my hair. So she used to be as dark as me, but is now mostly white. And the front of her hair is very white. And I've got pictures of like all her little wispy new hairs coming in like black, like mine again. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, like, wow, I've like actually seen the change with my own eyes. That's, um, we were quite excited about that. That's because of the- yeah, I, can, I can share more on that. Yeah, I was my intention last year, just kind of like a manifestation journal to eliminate my gray hair. And then a friend introduced me to Nuchito like a month after. So I started ordering it. I was taking three or four pills on average, but I was also taking some uh, niacin as well. <laughs> so anyways, playing with different protocols, I introduced hydrogen water and hydrogen gas. And then did the intermittent fasting and cold showers and all these things. I barely have any gray hair left on my head. And I used to have gray hair on my chest. And almost that's almost all of that is gone as well. And how long did it um, take? What, how, when, did, when my dad and I, can I ask? Was, you know what? It was like, I didn't see anything for about six months. And then all of a sudden, boom, like within two months. I, um, so I, I guess you have to be patient with it, but I wasn't taking the six doses. I was only taking three or four pills. With respect to COVID, I just uh, started giving my dad new Cheeto in smoothies kind of thing. And together with, again, hydrogen water, you could you could read up on that wish. But I think the combo was uh, extremely effective. Just so you know, I, I live in Canada and I just purchased a lakefront parcel that I'm going to turn into a wellness retreat center. It's like the work that I've been doing for ages. And anyways, uh, it's going to be called Lungo Vita, which means long life. So very, very similar to Nuchito. This is great. Well, we're going to have to go. Anyways, thank you. Thank you for everything. It's amazing. 
Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing the testimonial. I love hearing these, these stories. The stories are, are amazing. Even though it's an N of one, I still think there's some something to it. So it is wonderful to hear that. I'm going to continue on my new Cheeto uh, looking for some more great results. Is there any anything else that you'd like to add, Nicola, or something that I forgot or, or that you need to mention before we leave? No, no, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our chat. So thank you very much, Laura. And thank you, everyone, for attending. That's wonderful. So please just get have one more question. How does gut health come into all of this? Have you have you thought anything about that? I think gut health is an incredibly important part of the puzzle. It's not something that we've looked into a great deal, but I, I think it is something that's worth a person's time to research if they're really serious about the health. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, more questions, you can always find Dr. Conlin on Instagram and Facebook or ask the service center directly on the website. Great, great um, service center there. So I can definitely recommend it. And if you want to try it out, go for Zora 10 off and try it at 10% off. And I will hope to have, I have, an, I have more questions about the cosmetic scientist in you. So maybe we'll have another uh, podcast interview. Thank you so much, everyone, for your time sticking it out almost two hours now. And um, thank you so much for doc- Dr. Colin for, for your time. Thank you. No problem. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.